in your Bibles this morning, I would like to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, verses 1 through 12. Just as a public service announcement at the beginning, uh, I felt during Sunday school as I was teaching that my voice was weakening, starting to go. So I'll go as far as I can this morning or until I feel like it's too much of a distraction. And then I will do to be continued. All right. And uh, we will uh, pick it up next week. But our goal this morning is to look at verses 1 through 12 of Romans chapter 14. Last week, we looked at this passage, began to look at it, and we kind of laid the foundation for it by asking a crucial interpretive question, and that is, who really are these people, the weak and the strong, as Paul describes them, and what, what was the core issue that was in debate? And based on the passage as a whole, running all the way from Romans 14 through about the middle of chapter 15, it seems that the core issue was about observance of certain Mosaic laws. And so what we're really dealing with in Romans 14 and 15 is the, the transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant. And so because of that, it, it really is a unique situation in regards to the history of the church because Paul is writing to the Romans in, in the churches there in the city of Rome. And those churches would have been composed of Gentiles who were pagans before they were brought to Christ. And so they would have worshipped many gods, the Greek or Roman gods and goddesses. There were maybe some who were brought to faith in Christ, Gentiles, who were maybe you could classify as God-fearers, in that they had become proselytes and come into the, the Jewish faith and come under the Mosaic law as God-fearers. So they, they would have been just as susceptible to some of these issues as Jewish believers. And then you also have Jewish people who came to believe in Christ as their Messiah, and they're wrestling with, okay, how do we relate our our Old Testament passages of Scripture and, and the law of Moses to now how we worship and serve Christ in the New Covenant. And so you've got Jewish believers in Christ, you've got Gentile God-fearers who became believers in Christ, and they would be more sensitive to issues of the Mosaic Law. And there maybe have been some of them that thought, there are certain laws of Moses that we still need to follow, whether it be the, the dietary food laws like found in Leviticus 11, certain meats that are considered unclean, maybe they felt like they needed to stay away from. Even though we have newer and, and more progressive revelation in the New Testament that suggests that um, those all foods now are considered clean and blessed by, by God and can be received with thanksgiving. So those seem to be the core issues of, of how we relate the Mosaic law. And the specific issues that Paul brings up are food and drink, certain meats and wines, and then also special holy days, including probably Sabbaths, 
uh, certain feast days in the, the Jewish calendar that are prescribed in the law of Moses. And so it's particularly an issue that had to do with that, that day. Now, so then what are the applications for us today? If you can kind of think of, uh, I'll try to, to describe it this way. If you can kind of think of a, maybe throwing a rock in a pond, in a lake, and you see the ripple effects go out from it, or maybe the idea of concentric circles where you've got small circles and then progressively bigger circles that move outward. I think the closer that we get to issues of Mosaic law that are specifically talked about in the Old Testament, the closer we get to that, the more certain we can be about proper applications of this passage. The, the further that you go out from that into other areas of what we might call matters of conscience, where believers might have disagreement with one another, the, the further we get out away from the Mosaic law and things that are specifically prescribed in the Old Testament scriptures, the more we get out from that, the, the more maybe uh, debatable our, our applications become, if that makes sense. So the closer we stick to issues of Mosaic law and transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant, we're on safer ground in applying this. The farther out that we move, we need to exercise some caution in the way that we apply it. Let's look at the core principles that Paul is dealing with in this passage. Let's begin by reading verses 1 through 12, and we'll seek to get out at the core issues, the core principles that Paul wants us to understand. Paul says in Romans 14, verse 1, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Let's bow in prayer together. Lord, I pray that you would help us today as we look at your word. 
I pray that you would give my voice strength as I seek to, to teach and to explain and to apply your word to us today. Uh, Father, may your spirit help us as we listen. And Lord, may our hearts be open to receive and to put into practice what your word is teaching us today. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. In the first four verses, the core principle that Paul wants us to learn is that we should accept one another because God has accepted us. We should accept one another because God has accepted us. And I think the core thought in verses 1 through 4 is the fact that we have been received by God. We have been justified by grace through faith. Remember, everything that Paul is saying here in Romans 14 and 15, he is building on top of the gospel foundation that he's already laid in chapters 1 through 11, right? So this latter part of Romans, beginning in chapter 12, is, is more practical, more, more putting into practice day by day, issues of the Christian walk. But the foundation was laid in chapter 1 through 11, which is the foundation of the gospel, that we are declared righteous, justified before God, not on the basis of what we do, not on the basis of whether we're Jew or Gentile, not on the basis of the Mosaic law. We are received by God and justified before God on the basis of Christ and his work alone. We receive that by faith. So we're saved by grace through faith, and it's completely based and accomplished for us and merited by the work of Christ for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection. On the basis of that, and that we are received by God and welcomed by God with open arms. And remember who we were, right? Remember who we were. We were, according to Romans 8, we were enemies of God. According to Romans 8, we were alienated from God. We were hostile toward God in our mind, our thinking. And, and we were enemies of God. Romans 5 says, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. So remember who we were. We were enemies of God. We were estranged from God. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10-12, as it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. No one seeks God. No one does what is right. And this is who God has accepted. So God has accepted. God has welcomed. And not just, not just welcomed, but in a kind of backhanded way. You know what I mean by that? Like, like you can invite somebody over to your home. Like, you can invite a group over to your home. And, and, you, and you might be like, okay, this whole group is coming over to my home. And, but uh, this person, they're welcome, but uh, I wish they weren't here. God doesn't do that to us, does he? God doesn't do that to us. God welcomes, and he welcomes with open arms, and he loves us unconditionally. God has accepted us. And so Paul is saying to us then, on the basis of that, we should accept one another. And that goes both ways in this passage, because you've got disputable matters. You've got matters of disagreement. And whether it be matters specifically related to the Mosaic law, such as how we observe the Sabbath, or which special day should we regard as sacred, 
or what meats can we eat? That they, they were in disagreement over some of those things. And Paul says, whether you believe you can eat those things and partake of those things, or whether you believe you can't, the way that you look at one another needs to be governed by the way that God has looked upon us. Because God has accepted them, he says at the end of verse 3. So we are to accept one another because God has accepted us. Specifically, he addresses the strong in verse 1. And by the way, the strong, the weak versus strong, I think it's important for us to understand what Paul means by that. The weak versus strong, it, he, he calls them weak in faith. It, it doesn't mean that, that their faith in Jesus is small. It doesn't mean that their faith in Jesus is any less than the faith of Jesus, the, of the strong. The issue is more a matter of understanding and growth in understanding of the scriptures. And, and the more that someone grows and understands the full implications of the gospel and the implications of the new covenant, the, the greater that they understand that, Paul then would say, they're more in the camp of the strong. Whereas someone who is still maybe relatively new to faith in Christ, coming out of the Jewish faith, coming out of Judaism, not yet fully understanding the, the full implications of the new covenant and how it relates to the old, they would be more considered weak. Not that their faith in Jesus is any less, but that their understanding of the full implications of the gospel and new covenant are not yet up to where the strong are. So to the strong, he says, to the, you, this is how you should treat the weak. You should accept them. Accept them. Welcome them. And, and, and don't do it with, okay, I'm going to welcome you, but then we're going to go into a bunch of debates over what's right and wrong and what, what we can and can't do. Paul just says, just welcome them. And without desiring to get into a bunch of arguments over these disputable matters. And then he gets into, here are the issues involved. One person says, I can eat anything. Another person says, no, I, I can't eat anything. I, I can only eat certain foods. And, and so the one who eats everything, verse 3 the one who eats everything, so this would be the strong, must not treat with contempt the one who does not. So the one who feels like he's maybe a little bit further ahead in understanding, comprehending the relation of the new covenant and the old covenant, the one who feels like maybe he has a little bit more freedom because of that understanding, should not look down upon the one who is still growing and learning and whose conscience is still sensitive to some of those issues. Don't look down on. Don't feel a sense of superiority, right? Don't feel a sense of superiority. And, and that's, that's tempting. It's tempting for believers, more mature believers, people who have been in the faith. It's tempting to, to, to see somebody who is maybe new, who's still struggling with something, who's maybe questioning whether this is right or wrong. And, and, it, and it can be tempting to look down upon that person as being immature. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't look down. Don't treat with contempt that person, but welcome them and fully welcome them. Now, the other side of the coin in verse 3, the one who does not eat everything, so the one who is weak, 
who has not yet fully grasped the full freedom that is there in the new covenant, he must not judge the one who does eat everything. So the one who is new, the one who is growing, progressing, must not look at the freedom of the other and judge that person and say, that person is doing wrong. That person is offending the Lord. That person shouldn't be doing that. And getting into areas where they're forming a judgment and condemning their brothers and sisters in Christ because God has accepted them. So don't look down on people because God has accepted them. Don't judge other people because God has accepted them. Accept one another because God has accepted us. And he says in verse 4, it's, it, it's to the Lord that we stand or fall, isn't it? We belong to the Lord. It is, it is up to the Lord to judge us. We are not to judge one another. So in verses 1 through 4, the main point is accept one another because God has accepted us. In verses 5 through 9, the main point that he wants us to understand is that our goal in life is to live for the glory of Christ, who is our Lord. Our main goal as believers in Christ, our main goal is is not to think about what other people think of us. Our main goal is to bring honor and glory to the name of Christ, who is our Lord. So here's the thing that I think in verses 5 through 9, here's what Paul would not want us to do. Paul would not want us to change how we view certain thing, whether it's a, a, a matter or an, an act of behavior or practice where there's a matter of disagreement, Paul would not want us to change our view of that just to avoid the judgment of others or just to avoid being looked down upon by others. In other words, our primary frame of reference of what we do or don't do should not be the judgment or the condemnation or the contempt of others. The primary frame of reference for why we do what we do is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is to be our primary reference point. Everything that we do should be for the Lord. He says this in verses 5 and 6. One person considers one day more sacred than another. This would be more someone who is weak, who is still maybe under some aspects of the Jewish law and feels compelled to acknowledge some of those special holy days that are described in the Mosaic law. But he says in verse 6, that the one who regards this one day as special, he does so to the Lord. And if that's the reason, if that is the motivation, if that is the desire for why this person holds one day as special, he does it to the Lord for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ because he believes he needs to obey the Lord in this matter, that is the right motivation. He does it to the Lord. But another person, maybe who's stronger, who's more informed, understands the relation of the new covenant to the old covenant, understands that a lot of these old covenant provisions were were temporary and provisional and were symbolic of what was to come, he may regard every day as alike. 
And that doesn't mean every day is profane, but that means he means every day is sacred. They're all sacred because they all belong to God. But the one who does that does so to the Lord. So the one who has a more restricted view, his primary reference point should be the Lord. The one who has a more libertarian or freedom view, he should do so to the Lord. The Lord should be the primary reference point. Why? Because Christ is the Lord of all, isn't he? Christ is the Lord of all. Verses 7 through 9, he says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Every single one of us needs to memorize verses 7 and 8 and apply that every single day of our lives. Right? I mean, the simple principle that he's teaching us there is we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to Christ. It's a very simple, straightforward point, but the applications of that, the way that we put that into practice every day, are immense. The individual choices that we make, the habits that we establish, the routines that we have, the words that we use, the thoughts that we have, the interactions that we have with people, the way we do our job, the the applications are limitless. All of that should be framed around this idea. We are not our own. We belong to Christ. If he allows us the privilege of living, we belong to Christ. If Christ calls us home in death and we go to be with the Lord, we belong to Christ. That's what Paul says in Philippians 1.21, isn't it? For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Why? Because I go to be with Christ. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We're Christ's. For this very reason, verse 9, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be both the lord of might be the lord of both the dead and the living that's an amazing verse this verse establishes the supreme lordship of Jesus Christ he lived he died he rose again and now he is the lord of all he's the lord of all colossians 1 says that in everything, that in all things, he might receive the preeminence, the first place. Peter preached a sermon in Acts chapter 2 and said, Now with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his exaltation to the right hand of God the Father, God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. He's the Lord of all. Philippians 2 Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider that equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He humbled himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. But then God highly exalted him, didn't he? And gave him a name that is above every other name. And a name in which everyone, whether in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. He's the Lord of all. So, very simple point then. I'm not your Lord. You're not my Lord. You're not each other's Lords. We have one Lord, don't we? We have one Lord. And that is the Lord to whom we belong. Because he bought us with his own blood, and now he rose again. So that whether we live or die, we're still the Lord's, because even in death, he will give us life. Because God's not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living, right? He's the Lord of all. So everything that we do, do it to the glory of Christ. Verses 10 through 12, very simply, don't judge one another. Don't judge one another because God is the judge. Don't judge one another. God is the judge. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Again, another truth that would help us if we remember that every day and remind ourselves every day, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. By the way, that's a quote from Isaiah chapter 45. And if that sounds familiar, it's because it was also quoted from Isaiah 45 in Philippians chapter 2 that I mentioned a few moments ago. But here's the amazing thing about the way that Paul applies it in in Philippians chapter 2 is he applies it to Christ, doesn't he? He takes this Old Testament passage, Isaiah 45, that said every knee will bow before God, and Paul says every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's God. And And God the Father has appointed him to be the judge of all the earth. He has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And all knees will bow, and everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now, trying to apply this in specific situations, it gets tricky. Why? Because we're dealing with areas where Christians disagree, right? So as soon as I bring out, here's, here's something for application, there's automatically going to be some people who think, oh, we shouldn't do that. And there are going to be some who think, yeah, it's okay, you can do that. We have freedom to do that in Christ. Again, that's why I was saying the, the further away out you get from the Mosaic Law, the, the more tenuous the applications become. Let me start real close to home at the Mosaic Law. I believe in Scripture that many, many of the ceremonial, civic, ritual provisions of the Mosaic Law have now been fulfilled in Christ. It's not as if they don't have meaning anymore. They still have meaning and they still have purpose, but now their purpose and their meaning is filled up in Christ. So, for example, in Leviticus 11, Leviticus 11, it says, these foods are clean, these foods are unclean. And we normally associate that with pork, right, with pig meat, whether something is kosher or not. But the list is very long, isn't it? In Leviticus 11, it's not just pork. The list is long in Leviticus 11. These are unclean foods. 
But then we get to the New Testament, we get to the Gospel of Mark, and we see Jesus himself declaring foods clean. Uh, We get to Acts chapter 10, and we see the Lord giving Peter a vision, saying, I've now declared these foods clean. What's the purpose of God declaring those foods clean? It's so that the wall, the barrier that separates Jews and Gentiles would be taken down. One of the primary obstacles to fellowship between Jew and Gentile was the table. If you think about it, one of the, one of the most perfect opportunities for fellowship in the history of the world is about what we're about to do in a few minutes, right? Is everyone sit down together at a, same, at a table and eat food together. Now, in, in the early days of the church, you had Jews who were still very scrupulous about their Jewish faith and their adherence to the Jewish law. And, and they would feel very uncomfortable about sitting down at the same table with a Gentile and eating the same food as a Gentile. In, 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 other, in previous contexts before the gospel, if Jews and Gentiles ate in the same home at all, it would have even been at separate tables. Jews not only don't eat certain meats, but they prepare them in certain ways, special ways. They had to make sure that their food was kosher. So in order for Jews and Gentiles to be able to really come together, to really be a part of one body, and really be able to sit down together in the same home around the same table and eat and share the same food that God has given and receive it with thanksgiving, that wall had to come down. And that's exactly how Paul describes it in Ephesians 2, is the wall of hostility has come down in Christ. He mentions in this passage certain days, special days. Well, there's been a debate in the history of the Christian church over the right way to understand the Sabbath. There are still denominations and groups of Christians today still having that discussion, still having that debate. Uh, We have Seventh-day Adventists who believe the day, the Sabbath day, the day that we are to set apart as sacred is still Saturday. It's still the seventh day of the week. Now, they would see themselves as followers of Christ, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're still holding on to this day in the way that it's described in the Old Testament, and this is how we have to apply it. But then most Christians would say, no, the, the seventh-day Sabbath is, is no longer re, restri- placed upon us as Christians. And we don't have to follow the seventh-day Sabbath the way that it's prescribed in the Old Testament. And even then, there's some disagreement within, okay, some Christians believe that the Sabbath is now moved to the first day of the week. And that the first day, Sunday, should be observed as a day of no work, and, and totally devoted to the Lord as a sacred day, just like the seventh day was in the Old Testament, more of a Sabbatarian view of the first day of the week. Whereas Christians, some Christians today have more of a, a view of liberty of conscience when it comes to how we observe the first day of the week and whether or not it's possible to work or to do other activities on the first day of the week. There's disagreements about that. And as we're going to see later on, Paul's going to say, let each person be convinced in their own mind and do it from a heart of faith and do it as unto the Lord. 
But the core issue in this first part of the passage is accept one another and don't judge one another. Why? Because God has accepted us. So accept one another. Don't judge one another. That's Christ's job. Don't do what you do for other people. Do it as unto the Lord because you belong to the Lord. If we can remember some of those core issues that will help us in the things that we try to apply it to in our daily lives. So may we live our lives for the honor and the glory of Christ. And may we show love and deference to our brothers and sisters in these areas in which we disagree. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father God, we thank you for your incredible grace that has welcomed us into your family. We thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. When we were far away from you, we were, we were estranged from you. We were hostile toward you. You loved us. And you demonstrated that love for us by sending Christ to die for us. God, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for bringing us into your family. Thank you for making us in this church body, brothers and sisters of Christ. Help us to love one another. Help us to be of one mind, of one spirit. In the areas in which we have a differing opinion about how we serve and how we live out our faith to the Lord, let us show charity and grace to one another. Not judging, not looking down on, not condemning. Let's, let's remember the grace that you've shown us, Father. And Lord, may all that we do be for your honor, for your glory. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.